what happens when your worst fear becomes your reality. Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares and set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys that was in Leavenworth with and others who survived their own nightmare. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that'll help you knock down some of the prisons you built up in your own mind. All right, we're back. Nightmare success. In and out listeners. It's where you come. What happens when your worst fear becomes reality? How do you adapt, survive, overcome, set yourself free? Well, as you know, it seems to keep happening over and over. I've got just an incredible guest. It's Candia Milton. You guys might have heard of him. He's he's, he's he's he makes a statement that he doesn't know a life without being involved in politics. And when you listen to his story, you kind of get that. But uh, I want to give a shout out to Sabrina Morgan because I wouldn't be connected with Candia, but for Sabrina, who's uh, quite the little rock star in her own uh, world in Kansas City, doing some some incredible things. Uh, but uh, Candia was connected with me and I connected with Candia and so excited about it. Cause he's, he's, his background when you talk, he's born and raised in Detroit. Um, and he has some incredible, uh, you know, he, he's a guy of action. He, he, you know, he was a uh, deputy chief of staff in Detroit. And then he was a chief of staff and he's deputy mayor in Detroit. He was a mayor for a little while in Detroit. Uh, but he, he ended up serving some time over a land deal with the city. And we were just talking about this. He got an incredible opportunity, but he was able to take advantage of that opportunity when he got out to work in a congressional office of someone who believed in him and believed in second chances, but actually, you know, put their money where their mouth was and gave him a second chance, which was, is, is, uh, fantastic. It's, it's one of those things where you, you so much appreciate those opportunities that, that come to you after you've experienced, uh, being, being locked away. And one of the great things he's done is his passion has become reforming the criminal justice system. And, you know, I always, you know, I probably like a broken record on this. Those people who have been in the criminal justice system, they're the ones that need to have their seat at the table because they actually know what's broken and they can help uh, the people who don't know what's broken. Uh, but right now, Candia is the uh, policy director for Dream.org, which is a fantastic organization. If you can't, don't know what it is, you probably have heard of it, but go to the website. It's unreal what this organization is doing and how they're doing it. But uh, Candia is uh, the policy director or justice charged with working with state and federal officials to make policy changes that will impact the criminal justice system. I can't wait to unpack all this with Candia. Before we do that, I want to recognize our show sponsor, Auto Plaza Direct. You know, who likes going and spending a couple of weekends walking the car lots looking for a car? Then you spend four or five hours in the dealership to buy a car. It's kind of like a trip to the dentist. And I'm not talking down dentist. If anybody wants to dentist, go to see Eddie Logan out in O'Fallon. He'll take care of you. But there's a better way. Take away all the pain and hassle of getting a car. Auto Plaza Direct, they're your personal car concierge. Just tell them the car you want, what you can pay, and they will go find that car for you. They'll negotiate your best price. They also offer you warranties and financing. It's all full service. Go to autoplazadirect.com to get started with your personal car concierge. The new hassle-free way, the car buying experience you deserve. 
Autoplast Direct. Tell them that Brent from Nightmare Success sent you. Candia Milton, welcome in. How you doing, my man? I'm doing well, Brent. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our discussion this morning. Well, I tell you, I I have been looking forward to this, and we we were just talking about we've we've got a few things in common. You have you actually were a better basketball player because you actually played down, you know in in college. But we we have wives and three daughters, so we we know the world of just being told where to go, what to do, and how to do it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's interesting. I, I'm looking at myself in the picture here, and I, I see my head nodding. Yes, I just think it's just a habit right now. Um, having three, having three daughters and, and a wife is, you know, whatever they say. Whatever is, they say, tell me where I need to go. I just, I learned to say yes. <laughs> um, so. I was watching. I, I can't even remember what it was. I there was a um, interview you did, and you you were talking about there in your life, Candia, growing up as a kid. You didn't know anything around your world, but politics. I think your mom. Mm-hmm. Was, I mean, right after you were born, she was taking you out and putting you on the hip of and signing up people. And tell tell us a little bit about growing up as Candia. Yeah. You're, uh, it's interesting, Brett, because I, I do tell this story often. Um, you know, I don't know a life, as you mentioned, without without politics. Um, and, and my mom tells the story that, you know, I'm born July 24th, right? Um, 1971. Uh, and and the primaries are in early August. And she said, you know, we were right that out there on a poll, um, you know, encouraging folks to vote for a particular candidate. Um, <laughs> and so and ever since then, I've been in politics. Uh, we would you know, I know politics, sports and school. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, that was was my life growing up. Did you uh, have so Candia was was your life in um, were the, Mom, dad, siblings, like what, what, how did that all work within your world? Yeah. So, you know, my, my mom and dad divorced early. Um, you know, certainly I was five years old when they divorced. Um, so, um, you know, my father though was an active participant in my life. Uh, but I always say I grew up in community. Yes. I had, you know, a brother, two step brothers, um, and, and I can tell you the entire community was, was my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, we all played on the same baseball team. We all played on the same basketball teams. We all played on the same football teams and floor hockey teams. Wow. Um, and so we were, you know, it was, you know, I grew up in community. Um, and as I, you know, our summers, you know, we would have a, you know, we would have our baseball game, right. Or we would have baseball practice. And from the baseball diamond all the way back to to our neighborhood, the entire team would go door to door for a particular candidate. <laughs> right, that's great. <laughs> and, 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 and so we, we were always trying to dodge it, but you know it was inevitable because we had to get back home. Right, so my mom would have us go door to door, you know, dropping literature for for a candidate. So when I say I don't know a life without politics, and it being intertwined in in my very fabric and being that was my life growing up um, and so it it stands the reason that I you know I continue to work um, in that space I, I say that I work at the intersection of policy and politics at this you know as, so as a career right yeah now. so true you, 
you had to be pretty good in the sport of basketball to go on and play in in, in uh, the next level. Was that uh, was that in your family? Had anybody done that? Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, my grandfather, um, you know, played uh, college basketball okay. at what was then Wayne University. Now it's Wayne State University, um, and he was. You know, he he was a coach uh, beyond that. In fact, he was the first, he was a coach and mentor. Uh, he's in Wayne State University's Hall of Fame as a contributor. So not only is he there for basketball, but he was the first uh, African-American vice president of student affairs at the university. Wow. Uh, but he, you know, he had a great influence because he coached me uh, when I was younger um, and sparked an interest Um in me and in, in playing the game of basketball. Um, it's, it's, it, it opened up a number of doors, uh, many doors that would not have been open for me, but for the fact that, um, you know, that I played basketball, but also, but for the fact that he helped me gain perspective beyond the game itself. Mm-hmm. Um, he helped me understand at a very early age that, that this is an avenue that can open up doors. And so we can make it about the game, uh, or we can make it about life. And, and certainly basketball um, has taught me many lessons that I carry with me today. I think there's so much to that. I, I you know, I played sports all my life, but I, I think, you know, it teaches you so much. I mean, you, and, you know, being able to just be able to walk in and play a pickup game, you learn so much about, you know, how people work together. And if you're good, you can stay on the court. And if it's, you know, nothing's given to you, it's, it's, there's so many life lessons with sports. I even think it helps when you, when you go away, like, like we did, Candia, and you get locked up. I think even playing sports and that mentality of walking into an unknown world of, you know, how am I going to adapt to this is kind of like the locker room and the, and the, and getting on the, you know, in the game. It's, it's, there's a lot to it. I, I would not argue one, one bit with that. I mean, we, you go in, you make, you build relationship, right? Yeah. Um, you build trust. Yeah. Um, you know, does that, does get, does that guy have the it factor when he walks on the court, right? Mm-hmm. And see, and so when you, when I walked into Morgantown, West Virginia on that compound, um, you know, it became very clear to me that I had to walk in there upright mm-hmm. um, with a level of, of confidence, um, but also, um, you know, open to building relationships, right? I mean, that, that's what happens when you walk out on the court. And it's the same thing that happens when you walk on a compound. Um, so, true. you know, your, those relationships are are about your survival, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and your peace of mind. Um, and so that's, you know, we're social beings and that's, you know, having those relationships are, are critical. Um, and I, I would not have, in fact, I'm in this work today because of those relationships. Yeah. And I think I, you know, that's such a big statement because I, I, I sit here today because I, the thing I was the most surprised about, and, and going to prison was, is not judging a book by its cover. I want to hear the story because there's so many fascinating people that I had met that I didn't even plan on meeting. You know, I was, you know, I was standing at the gate thinking horrible things were going to happen to me. And the biggest surprise of my life was, is that people were there to help me, you know, get set up, you know, the next stage. And uh, yeah, I think you do find a different passion 
once you go through that uh, experience and, and want to not waste the experience, I guess it is to, to mm -hmm. um, if you can use it to help people, I think that's, that's a big deal. And that's what you're doing, Candia. But I, I'm curious when you went through your basketball in college, mm -hmm. were you thinking when you got out that, that you were going to go back and, and live the life of, of a policy politician guy, or were you thinking other things? Yeah. Well, you know, when you are, when you're that age and you're participating in sports, you know, at that level, mm -hmm. there's, you're, you're hopeful to be playing basketball beyond exactly. College, right? yeah. I mean, that, that, that's the goal when you go in um, is to, to, to play basketball professionally. Um, and so I, I didn't have any, you know, I, I didn't have, um, a desire, although I had a backup plan, mm -hmm. uh, to, to get immediately into politics, um, and, and work in the, at the intersection of policy and politics. Um, but reality sets in, right. Uh, and I can tell you in it about mm, the beginning of my senior year is, is when reality hit that, you know what, I have to really make what was plan B uh, plan a, mm -hmm. but it still wasn't politics. Um, you know, I, I had anticipated being in, in the, in the business world. Um, and then, and I did, I did just that while also <laughs> helping candidates. I was still working in the summer volunteering for, with campaigns when I came home from, from college. Um, but I was, you know, I went right into sales right out of college. Um, and then my college coach, I was two time captain of, of our basketball team. And so mm -hmm. I saw um, that. my college coach called me back to, help um, coach. to be, yeah, to become an assistant, um, with him in the program. And what was interesting, I did go back uh, in that very first year, uh, we got fired. Uh, he, <laughs> How he, crazy is that? And, and here's, what's crazy about it, Brent, is that we, <laughs> the coach had a 100% graduation rate. Yeah. Um, but you know, in, in this, in the game, it's about winning games. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we got fired, but I was fortunate enough to be retained by um, the next coach that came in. Um, and in that very second year, we, um, we came, I think it was second place in the league. Oh, wow. Okay. So we, had, we had a really successful year um, and he became, you know, a legendary coach. Um, but I can tell you what was challenging is that I was on the road a hundred days out of the year, uh, between games and recruiting, mm -hmm. uh, and having a young family, you know, it was just tough and taxing. Um, and so I got out of, you know, I just, you know, I just felt it was important for me, uh, to center family, um, and, and make that, you know, my priority, my family, my priority. And so I, I had to. Um, yeah, I, I had to step away from, from it, um, and, and got back into sales. And then it wasn't until two years after that, that I got into politics. Um, well, as, interesting. As so, so you got time. into sales after the coaching and then what was, what was the opportunity that brought you back into politics? Well, so interestingly enough, you know, I, I talked about these campaigns that I worked on growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, well, one of them uh, was um, 
Carolyn Cheeks Kilpatrick, who was state rep. Um, I used to we used to work every one of her campaigns. Um, Carolyn Cheeks Kilpatrick is the mother of Kwame Kilpatrick. Right. Um, so I, I actually grew up uh, working in in politics, playing sports on sports teams, little league sports teams, whether it's basketball, baseball, football um, teams with Kwame. Um, we had a relationship and a common interest in in politics. And um, when he was elected youngest mayor, city of Detroit, um, you know, he thought it was important to bring on a, a team um, that was reflective of, of his energy and, and values. And so, uh, you know, he brought me in um, at the time as executive assistant to the chief of staff for the city of Detroit. How, how would you have been at that age when that so, happened? So he was, was, he was 31. So I was 30. I'm a year younger. Yeah, you than guys me. were young. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was 30 and I can tell you, this is how crazy it was. We, we, we were, we would work in the office till about 11 o'clock at night and the parking garage would close at 11. Right. Yeah. We would run downstairs, move our, get our cars out of the parking garage, park, the cars on the street and go back upstairs and work. Not that that, not that, not that that was the mandate. That was just the level of energy um, and enthusiasm we had for what we were doing um, to, to, to solve a lot of the problems that we were experiencing in the city at the time. And so we were a dedicated uh, group of people um, who nobody knew our name. We hadn't built the, you know, the political cachet. You were the young Um, guys, the young kids on the block. Right. And and so we were constantly, we had a chip on our shoulders that we need to prove ourselves. Um, And we worked every day um, to do just that, to make changes. And so it was, you know, it was a very, you know, exciting time, high energy, um, we didn't know what stress looked like and we, we were just working, working our butts off, um, and, and enjoying, um, you know, the work that we were doing. I can imagine you know, at that age, when you think you can just about accomplish anything and be in a yeah. position like that, where things that can actually get accomplished is, is gotta be tons of, tons of fun to be able to be in that position to do that. Yeah. And, and you know, we, you know, it was Detroit hadn't seen a new hotel in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the time that, that we were in office, we're talking seven new hotel deals were closed in, in that period, in a, in a six and a half year period of time. Um, we had built out, you know, a community engagement, a community development plan that engaged the community, each community in a very specific way um, to have input on what they would like to see in their communities for the purposes of its growth and development. Um, and so we, we were very, you know, active, um, you know, our bus, our buses were old and decrepit and out of compliance with, you know, a, um, um, was it ADA compliance? They were yeah. out of compliance there. And then we, went to Congress and got $82 million to replace our bus fleet. Um, you know, national, we were in a post 9-11 era, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, we were able to go to Congress and get $40 million for Homeland Security. Um, 
infrastructure. Um, and so we, we did, I think, a, a lot of things that, that, that really helped bring the city a long way. Um, now, we didn't complete the job. Uh, but I, I would say that we we did make a great deal of progress in, in the time that we were there, um, in, in spite of the you know the challenges at the end there. Well, let's let's talk about that because it, it, when you read through the the history of what was going on, you guys did accomplish a lot, and you were giving people back what they were wanting uh, into the community, and then you know there is seems like it always sometimes happens is that you've got. Um, you know, drama and craziness that, that transpires. Did you know, uh, Candia, when all this was going on, did you feel it, that it was good, that something was coming down the pike that, cause it was kind of like one over here, one over here, one over here. And then, and then you were left as kind of the person standing here. And then that ended up to be the crazy land deal thing. Did, what did that feel like in the, in the world you were in. Yeah. I mean, we, th- it, it was, it was very clear that there was a, a an active investigation um, going on, you know, at the time um, that it was all happening. And I can tell you for my, me personally, um, when that investigation had happened, I had already made my bad decision um, well before the, these investigations had manifested themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I would imagine before we knew it, these investigations were happening. Um, and, and so you, you could feel the, the walls sort of caving in um, on you at the time. You, and for, for me, the story for me was, you know, it's one of those things that what happens in the dark <laughs> will manifest itself in the light mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I had built a, a reputation, if you would, of, you know, one of integrity uh, in spite of what folks felt about, you know, the mayor, um, Kwame Kilpatrick or, or the administration, um, you know, folks hit folks sort of separated me yeah. uh, and said, but that Candia guy is He's a go-to a, guy that tells it like it is. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that guy. And that's not just coming from you, Candia. That, that is, if you read about you, that that's part of, yeah. yeah. And, and I will state that, you know, the, the sort of, um, sort of Shakespearean comedy of it all is, is that, you know, I under, I played on that. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and betrayed the trust of, of, of the hardworking folks who at the city um, trying to keep the lights on and, and do a, you know, bring it, you know, a hard day's work with integrity uh, for the pay that they were earning. I betrayed their trust as well as the citizens um, and everybody that I worked with every day. And so I, I you know, I had to come to grips with that um, and, 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 and having betrayed their trust, you know, trust that they often put in me. And I, that, that I don't take lightly. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, I had a situation where it was the company and we were a national company and you could feel, you know, the, yeah. every day you could feel that you were under siege and you didn't know you fought and you knew that, you know, probably wasn't going to be enough, but you felt thinking that there was going to be something that could be worked out 
figured out. Yeah, and everybody always said, you know, I'm, I'm, they're waiting for the shoe, another shoe to drop. Right. And, and it, it, it just seemed that whether it was at the city council level or, or in a department or in the administration, uh, as we say, the 11th floor, that's where the mayor's office yeah. was. Um, on the 11th floor, I mean, everyone was just waiting for uh, a shoe to shoe drop. To drop. Because, I mean, if you, if, if you were to take it, take a look at the history and put it all on a timeline. Yeah. I mean, it was happening one after the other. Well, that's what it looks like. That's how it reads. And for you personally, Candia, did, how, what was the timeline? What was the investigation timeline that you were going through? And I'm sure, you know, I don't know how old your kids were at the time. You know, mine were teenagers. I, I don't know how old your daughters were, but how did, how were you, how did you cope with all that? Yeah. So my, my daughters I had in, 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 an infant um, at the time, um, and then one was in just out, both and then two were in middle school. Okay, uh, at the time that this this all was happening. Yeah. Um. And and so, what was interesting is the bad decision I made around th- this land deal happened in two thousand six. They came knocking on the doors. The feds came knocking on the door in 2009. Okay. Um, so three years had passed. Right. Three years had passed. And quite frankly, you know, I had, I had, I thought I had <laughs> <laughs> moved past that. You know what? I, I, I won't do that one again. <laughs> exactly. right? uh, yeah. You know, I could see, I could see all of this, yeah. this happening. Um, in 2009. And so 2000, as, as you know, 2008, the, the mayor um, resigned from office um, in, in the summer of 2008. So this happened in 2009. I was, I called myself trying to move on mm-hmm. uh, only to have that past catch up to me. Um, and interestingly enough, <laughs> I was out, it was eight in the morning I was sitting with a person who was contemplating running for office for city council. Um, and my wife calls me and I'm like, she's calling me. She knows I'm in a meeting. Right. And so I, I hit, you know, I denied the call and then she calls me right back and then calls me right back again. I said, well, let me step aside and take this call. And so she, when I take the call, she says, Candia, what in the heck did you do? Now, Brent, she didn't use heck. I'm just, I'm sure yeah, I know the family show. So I, I won't, I won't use the words that she, so she's, you know, so she questions me. I said, what are you talking about? She says, you know, the FBI just showed up at the door here. Mm. I said, well, what happened? She said, I told him to get the, the heck out of here again. She didn't use heck. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I, I got nothing for you. Get the, it's, but what in the heck? She said, she, she said, you need to come home. Um, and so, you know, I wrapped up the, the conversation I was having um, with the prospective candidate um, and then came home and then we, you know, it, they had called my attorney from there. And, and, and so we began, um, you know, the process of me accepting responsibility for the bad decision I made. Yeah, and that's how that starts. Um, it with, did you immediately, Candia, feel like you were going to 
uh, you know, fall on the sword and, and do a plea bargain? Or were you, how, where were you in your mind with that, all that going on? Yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't really, yeah, so I guess fall on the sword would, would, would assume that I'm taking right it for someone else. Um, and I can tell you my, my thing was what I did was not connected to what anybody else was doing. Right. Right. It was your I thing. Felt, I felt like I was even in the moment doing something and sneaking behind everybody else's back right. and nobody else would, no, nobody would investigate me because I'm quote unquote, the guy that folks like. Yep. Right. Yep. And I, when I say Brent, I played on that. I, I really did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so mine, I saw mine individually. I saw mine as being separate. Mm-hmm. Now, I do believe that, well, given the questions that they asked that I had no answers for, uh, they thought that this was all a part of a larger larger thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, they want to connect the dots to everybody. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so mine was 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 not at all that it was a separate. And so that's how my my attorney and I approached it. Um, and so. I accepted responsibility for my action. I don't, I, it's got nothing to do with what anybody else has done. This is Candia mm-hmm. saying I did it with the intentions of putting this behind me as quickly as I can so that I can move sure. forward. Um, How quickly did that happen? Like when you said to, with your attorney, Hey, we're going to, we're going to accept responsibility. How long did it take you to get to the point where you're standing at the gates of wherever? Uh, what was the time period of that nightmare? Yeah, so that so 2009 is when that process started. Um, I think it was about 2010. Um, yeah, it was 2010 when I was, you know, and this was crazy to me, Brent, to self-report, right? Yeah. Oh, it's uh, weird. It's one of the yeah. weirdest things. I got, I got, I got to take myself to, to to prison. Yeah, I'm going to prison today. <laughs> right, <laughs> that was crazy, right? And so it was, it was 2010 that I, um, in fact, it was the fall of 2010, um, late summer, early fall of 2010 that I reported uh, to Morgantown. Well, uh, tell Virginia. me about it, Candia, because everybody's got a different type of experience. But you're going in there. You're you're a guy that has been in the, in the know of, of politics and uh, you walking now into a federal prison. What, what's going through your mind? Yeah, I can tell you it's, it's a surreal experience. Um, um, you know, I, I going in um, and at that check-in point and it feeling very invasive. Yeah. Um, violating. I mean, it, it was, it, it's almost, it was like the, indo- it, when you take a look back at it, it was an indoctrination. Yeah. So that you know that this is really what this is going to be about. You got no power. I don't care where you came from. Th- there's no power. You can you almost have. feel it like coming off your skin. Like they prisonize it, you and it feels like your, your freedom's just falling right. off of you. Right. Right. Yeah. And then they give you the, these khakis, with these flat shoes, <laughs> yeah. flat cheap shoes that you you, you throw on. No right? way to look good in those. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, 
and, and then, you know, all the rest of your, your gear, um, with the big orange hat, um, that, that goes, that goes along with it. Um, and, and the bro games. And so, and then you walk across the compound, uh, you know, with folks, it feeling like folks looking at you. Okay. Well, they are. I mean, that's one thing you figure out. Cause once I was there, I, when somebody came in, yeah. Who's the new guy? What's he look like? He's, he's entering our world. And I, was, right. and I just get to be there for a day. This guy's coming in for a while. And, and, and folks size you up on, on multiple levels. They so walking through the compound. And so what I noticed is that see in Morgantown, West Virginia, they had an indoor basketball court, right? Mm-hmm. Indoor gym facility. So I, I walked through there, of course, to check it out and see, see what the competition was going to mm-hmm. look like uh, for me. And and folks were sizing you up then. Okay. This guy's six, four, uh-huh. um, got a little bit of a walk to him. He might, he might not be bad. So they would pass you the ball to, to, so, so that you could shoot it. Um, and then they can size up. Okay. Is this guy, okay. He, he might not be too bad because mm-hmm. it was just around basketball season um, that, that I, that I got there. Uh, and so they're sizing you up at, at there. And then when you get to your bunk, um, they're sizing you up when you, you know, you're walking through, um, you know, you know, over to, to, and ours was, I don't know about where you were, um, and, and were you in Leavenworth? Yeah. yeah it was just so, like a big open, uh, yeah, it's like army room. barrack. Yeah. Right. Uh, with, with a bunch of bunk beds. A lot of and bunk cubes. beds. And, yeah. Yeah. So they're walking, they're, they're, they're checking you out as you're walking over to your bunk. Um, and even your bunkie is trying to get a sense of who is this guy now in, mm-hmm. invading my space. Um, it, and then you have, these these rules, I can tell you, common courtesy is is Respect. very important in that space. Yeah. I mean, people don't realize even if you're chewing with your mouth open, it's an expression of disrespect. Yes, respect uh, is such a big deal, and um, yeah. you know, it's you get they give you the thing of the prison rules, but you've got to learn the unwritten prison rules to survive in what the world rules. is. Right, and and if if you are automatically going into a a minimum and you didn't work your way down, then, then they really get upset with you. You know, you come in here, you don't know the rules. Like, how am I supposed to know the rules? I didn't work my, get help, help a brother out. Exactly. Uh, but, but Good I will job. say you, some of the most thoughtful and kindest and most intelligent and most creative people I've ever met in my life, we're in prison. So agree with you. Yep. And, and what, what I learned is that, you know, these guys, no matter what their, what led them to their incarceration, everybody wants the same thing that, that everybody outside those walls want for their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's just a matter of their exposure in life on, on how to get to that, that place. Absolutely. Um, and, and so, so often people are not exposed to the same opportunities that others have had in their lives. And so they go down the road that they know and it's survival for a lot of folks. Yeah. But at the end of the day, what folks really want is the same thing they, yeah. they want. They want some security. They, they want financial, um, um, uh, you know, integrity. They, they want to be able to pay their bills. They want to support their families. Um, 
you know, they, they want to live in community uh, and in relationship with, with people. Um, and, and that, that's really, it, it, that's so it true. Candia. And, and you find that out by you're living in close quarters with these people <laughs> and, and then you do find stories of, you know, you wonder how in the world that person survived to this point, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, how they didn't have any opportunities. I, I think uh, some people, maybe it was Glenn Martin that said that, or maybe it was Lewis Reed who was talking and he said, you know, to give somebody a second chance, maybe they didn't even get a first chance in the first place. You know, exactly. They're, they're just looking exactly. for a fair chance, but yeah. And, it sounds like uh, a Lewis Reedism. I think yeah, it is. That, <laughs> yeah. That, that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 sounds like uh, my brother there. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and and he's right. He's right. I you know I, I talked about the relationships that I built with folks while in prison that has me in this work, and I what you just you know, you, you stated about second chances versus a fair chance mm-hmm. reminds me of one of the guys that really inspired me to be here. Um, and, um, you know, we were in the visiting room and his family, including his young kids had come to visit. Um, and he was, you know, he was a tough guy. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this was a second bit and his family, his boys, two young boys were just jumping all over him, playing with him. And he was, he was just having a ball. Uh, you know, you, you didn't see that on the compound. This was a very different guy. Yeah. That toughness it was, had gone away. He was loving on these kids, hugging them. I mean, they were jumping. I mean, they were just, they had, they had the, the visiting room. It was their playground. Yeah. And, and he was, he was enjoying himself. And at the end of the visitation, he, you know, we're all standing in the line there. We all have to line up to go back um, to, to, to the compound. Makes you feel and, kind of prisoner too. That, that whole thing. Yeah. Pardon. That whole thing kind of makes you feel like you're okay. I, I've enjoyed exactly. my wife and kids and now I'm lining up as a prisoner to head back in a march right. in as a prisoner. Right. And so, and so the family is still there. Right. And so they're watching you line up and the kid had kids had, had experienced this before. So dad is now about to leave and they're bawling mm. and they're grabbing him at his ankles as he's, as he's standing there in line. I mean, it, it just took all he could, could mm. to not, cry and, and 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 you i could see a teardrop right yeah. and him wipe his turn his head to wipe his eyes and so we get back um and we're in the same unit um uh, and but like two weeks he's in this self-imposed isolation mm-hmm. you know he's only going to eat and coming back and so i walk over to him i said you know man his name was herb i said herb Man, this has got to be it for you. I mean, you you can't come back. Those kids, they really depend. They're dependent on you, and they they really love you. This, this you can't come back here again. And so then he he looks up at me. He says, "You know, Milt. They go by last names, by the way. They, everybody has. They go by your last. You know, Milt. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best, um, but I can't promise you nothing." I said, well, what do you mean? How, how can you not make that promise? I, he said, well, he said, the first time I got out, I had committed to never coming back here. Mm-hmm. 
And it was okay for me to work those janitorial jobs. But, you know, I, while I get on my feet, he said, but every job I applied for, I got turned down. Mm -hmm. Nobody would hire me. He said, so I had to go back to do what I knew how to do because that janitorial job wasn't paying the bills. He said, listen, Milt, my uncles, they hustled. My mother, she hustled. My cousins, they all hustled. And he said, if I knew my father, I'm sure he was a hustler, but I, ne- I, I never knew him. Know him. Yeah. Uh, he, he said the only hustling he did was get, get out of, <laughs> get he got out out of town. Yeah. Right. And, and, I mean, and that's, that, those are his words. Yeah. And so I went back to my bunk and I was mad. I'm like, he, he can't do these kids like that. Mm-hmm. And so then I came home. And I put, you know, I served my time. I'm ready to get back into society. I pulled out my notepad of all the people who said, when you return home, give me a call. That was about 25 people. So I made all those calls. I applied for 50 jobs online. Mm -hmm. I didn't get one call back for an interview. Yeah. Right. That was sobering. Of the 25 calls that I made, of all the 25 people, while I was liaison to city council, deputy mayor, chief of staff, mm-hmm. helped all of these people move projects that they wanted through the city government. Yeah, that was important to them. Exactly. There only two callbacks. Two callbacks. One of those callbacks ultimately led to the relationship that I built with then Congressman Gary Peters. Mm -hmm. But as much as I didn't think Herb had understood or that Herb was out of touch, it was that experience that helped me to learn that I was out of touch. Yeah. There's a group of people who could utilize the experience that I've had in government Uh, working at the intersection of policy and politics Mm -hmm. to move the kind of policies that will make their lives better and make for a successful transition. Should we do all that we need to do make for a successful transition back into society for them? That's such a great story, Candia, that you just shared the whole scope there, because I think that's, you, you, you nailed it. It's, it's, when you're in, I, and I was going to ask you, like what, your strategies while you were in, what did you do while you were in? Did you, because uh, you, uh, I can't remember the time that you had, was it less than three years, three years since? Yeah, my my, my story internally was was not really sensational. I mean, that it, it was. It, it, well, that's a good I, thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Um, you know, so it wasn't, it wasn't so much my story my personal experience um, that that drove me to be in this work. It it was the the men that I. Yeah. Well, I I think I think what you just said though puts so much emphasis on how hard it is for those who really are trying. And you said most everyone wants the same thing. It's can they grit it out enough to stay with it because that janitorial job and getting another janitorial job and, and then looking at where you were and what mm-hmm. you were doing and the, and the running things, r- running cities of things. And you're just desperately trying to get somebody to call you back. Right. For right, a job right. interview. Right. 
Yeah. But, but it, yeah. And, and that was, that's, and I, I just felt like if I could just get two of these interviews, I could, you know, I can, I can make the kind of impression yep. that, that makes it difficult for them to say no to yep. me. Right. I mean, it, to me, it's out, being in sales. Um, it's easy to say no to the company, but it was always my confidence that it's, it's tough to say no to Candia. If I get, if I get in front <laughs> of you and we have this conversation, I'm going to make it tough for you to say no to me. You can say no to the product mm-hmm. when, when we send all the bells and whistles of the product to you, but it's going to be hard to say no to me. So, yep. um, but, but I just could, I couldn't get there. Um, I, you know, I just couldn't get to that point. Um, but, but you asked the question, you know, the things that I did while incarcerated, mm-hmm. right. Um, I worked with a lot of folk on their business plans. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of guys had hopes and dreams. So when they got out of what they were going to do. Um, and so, you know, I helped guys build out their business plans. Um, you know, I help, you know, people understand the importance of conflict resolution versus, you know, the knee jerk reaction to, to, and and we all often want to react, right. Even when today, when I'm driving, I feel like lashing out at some folk. (laughs) (laughs) My wife's good at that. She turns into a different person behind the wheel. And I always say, so my wife does the same, (laughs) Britt. And I say, listen, that person is gone. They ain't even thinking about you, but here you are mad and and ready to, you know, (laughs) go crazy. Why don't we just keep it moving here? Uh, But, (laughs) but, you know, you know, helping with conflict resolutions. Um, And I didn't so much build curricula for classes, but I would, you know, I, I, you know, I was often the guest Mm -hmm. lecturer. For some of the classes, um, which let me just say, there's such a hunger for growth and development for people who are incarcerated that in the absence of the BOP bringing classes, yeah, we were in there building curricula for classes. That's and that's such a great reading. point. Such a great point because I, I know one of the things you've talked about is is the First Step Act that you were very involved in and helping get that done. Uh, now it's all in place, but we can't get it staffed. Can't get the things that are supposed to be done to get the people to get their credits and all those things. So, so much of that, if you know, they even talk about staffing, well, why not take some of the people that the Candias of the world and, and let them teach the curriculum that will help these people get the credits they need to get through the first step back. Those are, I mean, those, we have it staffed. (laughs) They're not going anywhere. Right. You know, the, yeah. And w- well, what's interesting is even before the first step back, right, these classes were happening and now they're being forced to accept because of the staffing issue and the demand for implementation of the first step back is that they're now um, allowing for these classes, you know, certain classes that meet the criteria to, you know, make allowances for credits. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so the, the good thing is that, that that is starting to happen more and more because of the, well, what I would call chronic staffing shortages, yeah. um, you know, that not only put folk at, at risk of, you know, for not having opportunity, but it's, it's really a, a, a safety risk. Yeah. Um, you know, not having the, the staffing levels there. Yeah. Well, you can't do it when, cause 
when you got out and then you finally get this opportunity, can can you walk us through that, how you felt about that, what it was, how it happened, you know, because that really kind of sets you in play back into your world, but you had a different passion. You know, you, you're, mm-hmm. you, you had this inner feeling that I'm going to do some things and change some things. It was a little bit different than before you went in. Yeah. You know, it, and, and I can tell you, man, it, this is, um, when I came out, you know, I, I, I had no thought about going back into politics, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Um, and the, the two people that I referenced that, that, that actually answered the phone and were active participants, um, had presented opportunities to me that, you know, I wasn't ready for, um, and, and was still punishing myself for the bad decision and feeling bad for myself, Mm -hmm. um, and feeling like, in, in, in some of these cases, not worthy. Kind of like the imposter syndrome. I'm, I'm not yeah. supposed to be here. Yeah. And, and it was something when, when I look back at it, didn't even recognize myself because, you know, being born and raised in Detroit, um, where you see, unlike a lot of cities, you see you, examples of what black leadership can look like um, and your role and responsibility and the opportunities you have for you to, when you see a Coleman Young or Clyde Cleveland, who's a councilman or uh, a, a, a Charles Diggs, um, who was a congressman or a John Conyers, who's a congressman, when you're seeing those folks and attorneys, um, you know, who are multiple, you know, types of practices, mm-hmm. you know, from defense to, to municipal bonds, to, um, general practitioners. I mean, when you, when you see that every day, you feel a sense of belonging, no matter where you are. Mm. And so to be in this space where now you don't feel worthy or you have this impo- this, this, you know, imposter syndrome, um, and it happened in a way, Brent, that I didn't even recognize it when I was in that space. Sure. Um, but, you know, I, I just kept thinking, okay, I'm not worthy of these opportunities. Yeah. And so what happened was I was sitting on the porch. Um, and the gentleman that I used to work with at the city who didn't get in the kind of trouble that I got in had built his, um, his, was it, uh, uh, call it a political, you know, he's a political consultant, but he does more than that. So he's communications consultant, political consultant. He like builds out campaigns. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was sitting there on the porch and and he also lived up the street from me. Okay. Uh, so he, he saw me, he said, man, I keep driving by here and I'm seeing you on the porch and this is a waste. It's a waste of your talents for you to just be sitting on the porch and, you know, we need you in the game. And then one day he called and said, Hey, listen, I got this charity uh, thing that I'm doing downtown and I need your help as a bartender. Okay. I've never been a bartender, <laughs> but I, and he, and he brought me a black vest. He said, all you need is some slacks. Now you all, some black slacks, but here's the vest I need you to wear. So I go and I show up 
And, you know, the folks who came in from the chair for the charity event were staffers for the Gary Peters campaign okay. for Congress. Um, and, and out of that, you know, they asked him some questions. Okay, who is that guy? And, and then as they started to see who that guy was, and as he started to tell them the story of the guy, they were like, ooh, that, that guy's kind of <laughs> that guy's kind of mysterious. But then he seems to be a pretty nice pretty normal guy. guy. Yeah. And so they then invited me to work for the campaign. Wow. Right. And so, but I would put my toe in the water, and then I would step back put my toe in the water. I would step back. And at a point, the campaign manager said, Hey, listen, you either have to show up and we can depend on you or, you know, we can't have you on the books as being hired because we really need, we, we, we need you to be an active participant in this campaign if that's what you're going to be. And so I did make the full fledged commitment, but it was not easy because it was starting over. Yeah. I, w- I didn't come in as the political advisor. I didn't come in as the policy advisor. I didn't come in as the deputy campaign manager or campaign manager. I came in as a canvasser. Mm-hmm. So here I am. It took you all the way back to your baseball days. Starting exactly <laughs> right back to where I started. Right. Yeah. And, and so every day that I would go, to the territory that I was assigned to Brent, I would sit in the car for 20 minutes agonizing about what I had in front of me. Mm. And then 30 second pep talk, you know, get your, Mm -hmm. you know, get yourself together and get out here and do this. You know, this isn't just about the canvassing. This is about, you you know, who you, and every day I would have, I would do that. Yeah. Um, and I would go door to door. And even though I was 20 to 30 minutes behind the other person starting mm-hmm. every day, my numbers were higher than everybody else mm-hmm. who, who were out there canvassing. Um, and the feedback was, you know, that I was inputting was more substantial than, than everybody else who was out there canvassing with me at the same time. Um, and after he won office, um, you know, he asked me if I would be interested in in working in his his official office. Um, Just huge. Yeah, and, and I will tell you, one of the conditions was a need for you to be out in community, sharing your story, mm-hmm. also encouraging. The, the the young kids mm-hmm. to you know avoid the pitfalls that that lead to incarceration yeah uh, and that was hard because it took me about three months of being on staff before I did my first meeting yeah and every time the congressman would come back to the district he would say have you been out there yet have you been out there yet and, and then at one point he said, Candia, these kids absolutely need you. And the very first time that I went out there, Brent, I had a canned sort of mm-hmm. story to tell 
And it, it, you know, it was one of those, if I could just reach one of you, I've done my job type stories. But when those kids walked into that auditorium, man, and I, I, I could see little mini me's coming into that auditorium. Mm -hmm. I mean, just something transpired in the very thing that I prepared. I didn't utter one word of that. (laughs) That's incredible. Right. Cause, cause I I had avoided it. Cause in all that I prepared, I had avoided the story. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but it included not only the story, but it all, it also opened up with, if I miss any one of you, then I failed you all. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, and because it, it's crazy to me when we were growing up, right. If I could just reach one, sure. well, is that ever a success? <laughs> when has a person ever just simply done their job if they reached one? Right, right, right. <laughs> even baseball has a higher, yeah. you know, you know, your batting average is 300, you know, you, 200. Yeah. Right. You, if you hit it three times out of 10, then that's a good batting average. Right. right? But, but if, if you have 45 kids and you only reach one, right. You've done your job. No, I, I think you ought to be fired at that point. <laughs> you need to reach a few more. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And so, and, and it started with that and, and me being open and candid about not just, the, you know, the, 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 the bad decision, but all the things that led to the bad decision, right. Buying into you're the greatest buying into this notion that, you know, nobody has ever done it as well as you, um, you know, leaning in on reputation as opposed to leaning in on character. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so, you know, it was all the things. So I didn't just talk about the bad decisions, but it was the things that led up to the bad decisions. You know, a steak dinner wasn't illegal. Mm-hmm. You know, concert tickets weren't illegal, but they it was priming me, right, for that ultimate, hey, would you Do would this. you take this uh, money in exchange for this, mm-hmm. right? And so all of that led to, the bad decision um, that I made. That's so great though, that you had somebody, it's almost like an accountability guy. This just, Hey, have you been out there yet? Have you done? And then when you went out there, Candy, you loved it. And, and you know, I can see just you talking about it now, you know, I like to go and do that. I, I was just doing it the other night to uh, Fordham university. It was on a virtual call, but it was, I love that moment it almost feels like sports when you're taking the, you know, the court, you get that adrenaline flow and, and then you get the Q and a, and, and you feel like you're, you've connected, but being able to use your experience, you know, like I, when I talk, I talk about the moment, you know, if I could have mm-hmm. this moment back and then this moment was another moment. And then this moment. So when you get into these moments, think about them, don't just walk over them, but right. Right. Uh, that's, and I can tell you just talking about that, it, it heals you therapeutically to go out and do that, which is a big deal because you're in, now you're in a world, Candia, where you, thank God you're in the position you're in. I mean, how inspired Sabrina was that you took the time to come and see her in Kansas City. And she's, I mean, all about this halfway house there. And, uh, you know, but you're in a position where you can inspire people to take action. And, you know, that's in this world that we live in with, you know, we say that we're branded for life as ex felons. We are, 
But I think the more that we band together as a group to create a bigger voice for change um, is what, you know, needs to be done. And, and, you know, with what you're doing and, and just the fact that you're, we're going out and speaking to kids and getting that back and forth and, and creating maybe a different generation of what people are thinking mm-hmm. when they go into mm-hmm. it. That's, that's mm-hmm. a huge deal, huge deal. And it, it, it's, it was very healing. Um, you know, I, I, I felt a, you know, a big weight fall off of my shoulders. Yeah. And, and I, I will tell you, I'm not here today, but for that experience, not just that I can say that I work for Congressman Gary Peters and, and thus can, can be a government affairs director now. Right. I mean, cause that's usually the, the, the path <laughs> right. for someone who works for a congressman is they go with, become a lobbyist, government affairs, they become a pilot. So, but it, it was that, that, as we talked about earlier, that controlling the narrative is part of it. But the other part is showing up and being genuine about who you are and what you, your life experience is. Yeah. Um, but utilizing that and seeing the light bulb go off in these kids. Yes. Like I was expected, I tell the story being at, at the school, right? So I was expected on a career day to be there for, you know, two hours. I didn't get out of there until four o'clock, the end of the school day. They kept asking me to go to this next class and go to that next class and go to that next class. Um, But you also said something important here, and that is, you know, there being a community of incarcerated people working together, Mm -hmm. right, to make change. Um, Every time someone says that, I'm reminded of the Neo song, right? I'm a movement by myself but I'm a force when we're together. Mm. You make me better. Mm. You make me better. So being in community is, is what makes us a force, Mm -hmm. right? Um, It's the relationships that you're building that matters. Um, It, I, I can't, we can't get any of this done with, without, being in community without building the kind of power that forces people to, 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 to bring us to the table. We're not just simply being invited to the table. Power doesn't invite powerless to the table. It's because we're in community and you're seen as a force. That's how you get that invitation to the table Mm -hmm. is because man, this this person's powerful. Mm -hmm. He's got the backing of all of these people and you don't, you know, you're not going to build it on your own. It's you build it in community. Um, and so, you know, Sabrina and I having a conversation about the need for a halfway house, yeah. in Kansas city, which is ridiculous. How do you not have a halfway <laughs> I don't house? Know. It doesn't make any sense. A major driving to Topeka, Kansas. To- <laughs> right. It, it, so you, you, you're trying, you're saying you want to set people up for a successful transition back in society. Yeah. Uh, but yet you have to drive, you know, an hour, yeah. hour and a half to yeah. the nearest halfway house for reporting. Um, and so now you're, what if you don't have a vehicle? Yeah. Right? Easily could happen. It's very hard to get credit when you get out of prison <laughs> just to go get a car. Exactly. Um, and so as much as, you know, 
connecting with Sabrina um, um, was, you know, was was a good initial step. I can tell you, she's reached out to the to labor unions. She's oh, yeah. reached out to federal judges. She's reached out to halfway house operators. She's reached out to harm reduction centers. I mean, she is. I she's mean, action. She, she, exactly, mm-hmm. and and and. and and in building community, she's building power to make change, yep. to have an impact on on in you know within within her her domain. Yeah, um, and that 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 really is, like I say, it it generally isn't about me. It's about the relationships I build that that really drives me to to be in this work. Yeah. Um, that's great work, though. It's great yeah. work, Candy. I I always ask this to people, you know, at the end of the show, and and you've got such an interesting journey that you've been on through. Are we at the end already? Oh, <laughs> oh I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> We're not at the end of the journey. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying the end of the show. Oh, end of the show. Yeah, um, the end of the show already. <laughs> but uh, what do you think? What do you think's your greatest takeaway through all of everything you've been through? Hmm. My greatest takeaway. Because you've been uh, through a lot. Yeah. So here is what I, I've I've come to to realize in in this work is that there is a you know this is this is hard work, um, and I I will state that as a, as a person of faith, this is sacred work, um, and. I don't take the responsibility in being in this work lightly. And thus I share a sacred trust with those who have gone before me. Um, and pursuant to that sacred trust, I share a sacred trust with those who will come after me. And so it's, it's important for me to build on what those who have gone before me have, have built yeah. Right. Recognizing that I might not, quote unquote, get to the promised land as Moses didn't get to the promised land. Right. But if I can get us closer, then I can pass it on to the next generation. Right. That will take it to where to, to that promised land. Um, and so. I just recognize that for as long as I'm in this work, I may not see all the benefits of it. Um, you know, I can change as hard as it is to change laws. It's even tougher to change the culture. Sure. Right. And so I can change 20 laws today, but until we change the culture, um, that's a longer mm-hmm. protracted struggle that quite frankly, I recognize that I might have to pass on to the next generation in my lifetime. I love that for so many layers of reasons, because, you know, taking something from, one step and building up to the next step for the next person to take it. If you don't have that happening, it all falls down like a house of cards. Everybody's got to keep building on it. Candy, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, uh, what's what's the best way to reach out? Is it is it through dream.org? Yeah, they, they can. My, my email is candia, K-A-N-D-I-A, at dream.org. Um, I don't know if they can see it on the screen here, prominently displayed, but it's candia at dream.org. I'll put it in the show notes too. 
Yeah. yeah. And that, that's the, the quickest way to reach out. Um, you know, at the center of all of our campaigns are people who are directly impacted. Um, we do everything from engaged, engage our empathy network, which is again, a community of impacted leaders, um, engage them in cohort trainings. Um, then we have, in fact, I have a training this evening, um, with people, um, who are getting ready for their, their local or state campaigns, mm-hmm. um, everything from policy trainings to, um, telling your story to organizing. Um, we have a, a whole curricula curriculum on, on, you know, for, for people who are impacted by our criminal legal system, directly impacted by our criminal legal system. I mean, we're all impacted by it, uh, but those who are considered directly impacted by our criminal legal system. So again, at the center of all of our campaigns are people who are, are directly impacted. Um, Which is, so. is such a needed thing and, and so important. And I think that's why a dream.org organization is just um, one of the best out there doing what needs to be done. And, Candia, man, keep doing what you're doing. I, you're such a great voice to have. You know, you talk about a village and a movement and a community and, and having you with your experience, using everything in your brain to to get to the next step is such a big deal for people like me and Sabrina and everybody else that's in this big world of ours. Uh, so hope you keep doing everything you're doing, man. Well, Brent, I want to thank you for for not just having me, but for lifting up these stories. Um, and and they're not just simply stories, but they're opportunities for us, for us all. Those certainly opportunities for you and I, meaning us, yeah. um, to engage in this work, but also uh, for others to see what's going on and and get engaged in the work uh, because it really is going to take all of us. Yeah. Um, moving in the same direction and in unison um, to make the change here we want to see. And quite frankly, this country needs to see. Oh, man, for sure. Uh, For anybody out there, I appreciate that, Candia, by the way. Um, If you want to get a hold of me, it's brentcasty.com. It's with a T-Y, not a D-Y, even though I'd like to be Sean and David Casty. It's just spelled wrong. if and guys, I really appreciate you. everybody. Uh, there's been a surge of reviews on Apple that is great because for some reason that just affects the algorithm and puts the show on steroids. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that because I know it's kind of a hassle to do and click through all that and do that. So I appreciate it. If you're looking for a book out there, hey, it's Christmas time. Well, it's really Thanksgiving, but Christmas is coming. Um, go to Amazon.com. Get Nightmare Success. Uh, and as I used to say, when I was uh, writing my emails back and forth from Leavenworth, stay strong. I'll do the same. Candia Milton, man, appreciate you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brent. Appreciate this conversation. I, I look forward to us having a, a relationship beyond this, this, uh, this discussion. Absolutely. Uh, continue the great work uh, in lifting up, um, stories of folks who are, directly impacted by our criminal legal system. That'll do it for today. Nightmare success in and out.